0: Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God, our Father, and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Last week, we took a look at Jesus' story, the Good Samaritan. You know, I always wonder if, uh, you know, people will sort of tune out when we focus on a story that might be pretty familiar with already. It's sort of a pastor's burden, I guess. You know, the Good Samaritan, uh, I remember that one from Sunday school. You know, be kind to others, right? Show mercy and love to others. Yeah. Yeah. Well, nap time. (laughs) I I know it's not like that, but I still worry, right? Uh, I shouldn't. It's God's word. And even though it only comes around in, in their appointed lessons every few years, you always walk away with something new because you're not usually in the same place that you were the last time you heard it. Scripture has a way of doing that. It has this amazing ability to speak to you where you're at. Even when it's not new, it's always fresh. God's word never gets stale lucky for preachers. The thing about the Good Samaritan isn't just knowing that we should show mercy and hospitality to others in need, but that we pass by so many in need without even seeing them. We live in an age of self-love. People are always looking down at their phones, TikTok and Instagram and YouTube and all the rest, selfies and photos of the last 50 dinners you ate. Promoting yourself has become a way of life for many people, looking for likes and shares. And they're not always happy posts. Many are sad. Others are clearly cries for help. And when you go public with your life, you can expect to get roasted once in a while for your trouble regardless. It's a brutal digital world out there. Underneath it all, though, it's as if life is all about us, and that can make for trouble in so many ways. Like the 23-year-old Maryland man who actually fell into Italy's Mount Vesuvius volcano last week. Who falls into a volcano? (laughs) That's the one that destroyed the city of Pompeii when it covered it with with, uh, ash back in AD 79. Certainly photo-worthy, but not where he was standing. He and his family had uh, hiked up to the very peak uh, by trespassing on a trail that was forbidden and marked with no access signs. When they reached the top of the 4,000-foot-high mountain, he stopped to take a selfie near the edge of the crater. No, he didn't fall in that. gets better. No, he dropped his phone in. And when he tried to get it, you know, can't lose that picture, that's when he fell in. Luckily, he managed to stop a fall that could have been as far as 1,000 feet. He was just a few meters down, but he still couldn't get out. Some people on the other side of the volcano saw what was going on. And uh, with the help of ropes, they they got him out. There was no report whether or not he got the shot he was looking for. Clearly, he could have been killed. And we can only wonder, uh, what was he thinking, right? What was he thinking? There's a a danger of falling into a what was she thinking trap in our gospel lesson this morning. It's not a long lesson, just five verses. But you don't want to miss what it has to say because it could save your life. You know, a while ago we started talking, we talked about Jesus sending out 72 followers, remember, to towns and villages that he was planning on stopping in himself. Their message was to, or their mission really was to kind of pave the way. He told them to rely on people's generosity to meet their food and their shelter needs. People who embraced what he had to say about Jesus would want to help them. That's how it worked. Jesus and his disciples got by the same way. He once warned a would-be follower that foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Jesus had no earthly home of his own. He he was kind of a wandering missionary, always depending on the hospitality of others to support him and his disciples. Last week we heard a teacher of the law ask which commandment was the greatest, and Jesus kind of turns it on him and says, Well, you tell me, and and the man got it right two commandments that encompass all the others love the lord your god with all your heart and your soul and your strength and your mind and love your neighbor as yourself the man asked who is my neighbor jesus launched into a story that drew a word picture about exactly what loving your neighbor looks like a story that led to the conclusion that our neighbor is everyone unbound by race or culture or belief especially when they need our help Well, in the story of Mary and Martha, we we see the other half of that commandment. He shows us what loving God looks like in two very different ways. The invitation he receives from Martha this morning in this morning's gospel is really just one example of how they could expect to be welcomed, how Jesus was usually welcomed. She was going out of her way to show uh, love through hospitality. She welcomed him as a guest. The thing to remember when we read this story is that Jesus probably wasn't alone. His 12 disciples were probably with him. Luke doesn't mention it because they went everywhere together. You probably didn't see a need to. But they were probably there too. So caring for them would be no small job. It might be uh, maybe a good time now to remind you about a, a woman's role in first century Jewish society. You know, Women didn't have the option of entering the, the workplace and enjoying a career like they do nowadays. Their place was in the home and the man ruled the roost. If they were allowed to shine at all, it would have been in the all-important role of hospitality. Any sort of company you received into your home, whether they were uh, expected or unexpected, friends or strangers, imposed a kind of cultural expectation of a proper welcome and comfort and refreshment. A decent meal for the guest was required, even if that meant the host and hostess going without. It could create a lot of stress, and you can only imagine. Martha and Mary were probably friends of Jesus, as was their brother Lazarus. It seems likely that whenever Jesus was around the area of Jerusalem, he would stay at at their house in Bethany, which was just outside the city. Now, we know that Jesus was ultimately headed to Jerusalem for the very last time, where a cross would be waiting, but that's three or four months out. So it seems like Luke has placed this story out of chronological order in order to reinforce the lesson of the Good Samaritan. Loving your neighbor even when it's hard work. That's not unusual if you lay the Gospels side by side to compare them. Later on in Luke, we're going to find Jesus back in Galilee near Samaria where he heals ten lepers. So Martha is opening her home to the Lord. Maybe this visit will be a way for Jesus to prepare them for the heartache that's coming when they lose their brother. To teach them where to draw strength and hope from in hard times. Uh, Same place we do, really, from Jesus and his word just like we draw strength and hope through the Holy Spirit, working through Jesus' word, God's word, and sacraments. The next time we hear of Jesus coming to their home, he will be on the final leg of that journey, and that time he'll stop to raise Lazarus from the dead. On this visit, though, nothing miraculous happens, nothing uh, uh, supernatural, no amazing miracles, no casting out demons, nothing particularly spectacular at all until you look at what's really going on. A bit of crucial advice that can make the difference between life everlasting and eternal death. While the text doesn't really tell us that Martha was the the older sister, just kind of, you get the feeling that that's how it was, don't you? The two couldn't have been more different. Worried about every detail, Martha's trying desperately to please. In fact, we get a a glimpse of two very different approaches to help and hospitality. Martha virtually overflows with a sense of authority over Mary, all the characteristics of a type A personality. Researchers have found that older siblings tend to be more conscientious, ambitious, organized, and in relationships, more dominant. More than anything else, they want to be in control. Oldest daughters tend to be bossy, confident, and more aggressive than their younger sisters. Younger sisters tend to be more low-key, uncomplicated, free-spirited, Maybe owing, in part, to their parents' increasingly lax attitude uh, toward parenting as more and more kids come along. While they might still insist they wear a seatbelt, mom and dad are less likely to call 911 every time the youngest one sneezes or uh, tips over. An older sister type would be the one more likely to do everything possible to make a grand party out of whatever was available, even if it meant not being able to enjoy it herself. Martha, Luke tells us, was distracted by much serving. Luke uses a word here that, that means literally she was being dragged around. You ever felt like you were being dragged around by your responsibilities? It's a great word, right? That's what's happening to Martha, according to her view of hospitality. To her credit, Martha's view of the world was crystal clear. For her, and especially in her culture, she was Uh, what was expected, hospitality, was of of the utmost importance, immediate importance, and it trumped everything else that was going on. Because a clean house and a proper meal was expected of her, that need became immediate. It went right to the top of her to-do list, even if that meant taking time to chat or not to chat uh, with a very important guest. You know, if you're wired like that yourself, you probably understand that Martha wasn't really ignoring God, She was loving him uh, in her own way by serving him. Don't think she was clueless about who Jesus was either. She even calls him Lord while all this is going on. Now, Mary's approach to life was a complete contrast. While Martha seemed to be driven by this sense of responsibility, Mary saw the value of putting all the other things in life on pause so she could live in the moment, leading Martha to finally plead with Jesus in opposition to what any good hostess would ever say. Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to serve alone? She's actually trying to put Jesus right in the middle of this family squabble. That's right. And shame Mary in the process. But having Jesus in her home was every bit as important to Mary as it was to her sister. And so she chose to sit at his feet while he was present to listen to what he had to say. For her, there there were moments in life that were worth stopping for. And this was one of them. All earthly responsibilities paled in comparison to soaking in this spiritual moment to understand what an affront this would have been to martha you have to also know this you know back in those days anyone who would sit at the feet of a rabbi would be considered his disciple and there was really no allowance for a woman to do that in fact according to oral tradition a man's duty was to teach his sons the torah not his daughters a well-respected first century rabbinic sage once said Women's wisdom is solely in the spindle. And you'll love this one. The words of the Torah, that's the first five books of our Bible, the books of the law. The words of the Torah should be burned rather than entrusted to women. I didn't say that, He, he said that. But it does sound sort of like some of the things we hear coming out of Middle Eastern Islamic cultures today, doesn't it? But Mary saw something in the law of hospitality her sister did not. Hospitality is not only receiving a guest, It's listening to what they have to say. So which one is most important? Uh, Sit at the feet of the teacher or feed the teacher, especially since the invitation included the disciples too. From Martha's standpoint, a home-cooked meal might not have uh, seemed very important right in the moment, but it will soon. And after that, they can sit down together and talk. Well, anyway, Jesus settles this conundrum. The real issue, sticking with the hospitality theme, is whether a person is to first serve the Lord or first be served by him. See, it turns out that the one thing necessary, the one thing needful, a lot of translations say, is the gift that Jesus has come to bring. That gift is the word of God. It's how we approach worship. You know, Mary has the right grasp of our, our liturgical style. She sits at the feet of Jesus to allow him to first serve her with his gifts. To Jesus, real hospitality is first expressed in faith's acceptance of God's word because that's where the gifts of God are often found. Our whole liturgy is designed like that. Um, uh, God's word in a hymn. God's absolution in our confession followed by our praise. God's word in our readings. God's word in the message. Our confession of faith in response. Uh, It all culminates in the gift of his real presence in Holy Communion followed by our thanks and praise. That's liturgical, biblical worship. Martha's mistake was thinking that she was the host and Jesus was the guest. Worship is where God has promised to meet us with his gifts. Our praise and thanksgiving are a response to receiving those gifts, not because we have to, but because we want to. We can't help ourselves. The magnitude of what God has done for sinners like us in Jesus Christ leaves us with a grateful heart that demands a response of thanks and praise. Both sisters were trying to please the Lord. Both felt like they were demonstrating their love for Jesus in their own way. One with all her activity and her busyness and attention to detail, culturally expected details. The other, by dropping what was expected, to focus on the presence of God. You understand? It's kind of like the the Pharisee in Jesus' uh, parable last week. Uh, He failed to love his neighbor by by just hustling past the man who had been mugged and left for dead on the side of the road. Well, Martha had failed to love her Lord because after inviting him into her house, she stayed busy out in the kitchen. What matters most in the kingdom of God is, well, God. When God shows up, like he does any time his word is preached or read or taught, when he comes to offer his gifts to face a new week like he does each week, Stop what you're doing. Pay attention to what he has to say. There's nothing more important. You know, rethink exchanging church once or twice a month for church every week. Rethink Sunday morning sports or hobbies. Don't get drawn into that trap. Be here instead to sit at his feet and listen to what he has to say to you. You know, stop being too busy to see what's going on right in front of your face because you're going to be missing an opportunity to sit with Jesus. God's word has an amazing way of speaking to an individual's heart in just the way he or she needs to hear it. You might just miss an opportunity to walk with him in the garden for an hour and smell the roses. I know that's not what the world expects. You're supposed supposed to sleep in on Sundays, right? Head for the beach, be there for your teammates. But that's not what's most important. Jesus knew we'd be challenged by life. Enticed into believing that church and worship is something that you offer God out of what's left in your week. But it's not. Sunday is day one. It's number one. That's why this story has been preserved for us. It's a reminder of where our first priority should lie. What goes at the very top of the list. You know, we all need to take time to sit at the feet of Jesus. All of us. Every chance we get, You know, it's good to be a responsible person doing all we can to care for our families and feed the homeless and serve people we come across in need uh, wherever we find them. But it's even more important to first feed our souls in worship, in Bible study, in devotional time, in prayer. We need to take time out of each new day God gifts us to sit at the feet of Jesus for a while and be refreshed and renewed. Don't let your mind distract you from seeing what your heart is yearning for. Look first to Jesus and be blessed. Amen. And now may that very special peace of God that passes all understanding keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Amen.